Today, the word of God is don't quit in the wild. Turn to someone next and say, don't quit in the wild. A few years ago, I went hiking and I got lost in the mountains and I was searching for a waterfall. It was summertime. It was over 100 degrees in this desert area between Arizona and Utah. And I got exhausted. I, I, I literally became dehydrated to the point where I sat down on the side of this path and I had lost my trail, so I didn't know where I was. And I just sat there and I'm like crying, my phone is dead. And I'm thinking there's gonna, someone's gonna hear me, the wolves are gonna find me and a helicopter is gonna come and rescue me, maybe, I don't know. I was thinking of all these movies, pastor lost in the wild, you know, someone searching for, for help. And in that moment, I literally was praying. I was saying, God, I need help. I, I, I need help. I feel like I'm dying out here. I feel like I'm dying out here. And I started hearing things, started looking around, thinking there was a mountain lion that was following me. And I decided in that moment, the only option I have is to get up because there was no one near. There was no, like there was no one around. My, my buddy who usually hikes with me, he wasn't there with me. And so I thought there's no one else to lift me. I've got to get up from this. By the grace of God, I got up. I began walking in a certain direction. I just was praying, Lord, help me to find water because I'd run out of water. Ended up finding this waterfall and jumped in, got soaked in it, even drank some of it. I don't know if it was sanitary, but I needed water. And I ended up getting out of there finally. It took six hours hiking through there, getting out. I'll never forget it though, because the feelings I had in that moment remind me of some of the feelings I've had through this pandemic. Moments where I'm just questioning what's going on. Where am I? How am I going to get through this? How am, I, how am I supposed to make it? I feel discouraged. I feel depleted at times. My energy, my strength. And I just felt like God wanted to speak a message to someone today that if you feel like quitting, you're in good company. If you feel like throwing in the towel, you're not alone. God had a lot of people in the Bible who wanted to quit, but in the midst of what they were walking through, God showed up and gave them strength. And God's going to give you strength. He's going to give you grace. He's going to give you a way to get through the wild. He's going to make sure that you accomplish the purpose and the plan for your life. And if you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you'll win in the wild. If you don't quit, somebody say, if you don't quit, you'll win in the wild. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 12. You can make some noise. You could shout boomer if you want to. <sighs> it was a good game yesterday. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod began arresting Christians, those who belonged to the church. King Herod did not like Christians for a lot of reasons. One, they worshiped a king that was higher than him. He wanted the government to be the provider, the protector, the source. He did not like anyone fearing God more than fearing him. He didn't even believe there was a God. And so out of anger and frustration, he's watching this movement begin to grow and he, he doesn't know how to control it. He doesn't know how to contain it. He's watching people get saved and hearing stories about people getting baptized. He's hearing stories about people getting healed. And he's hearing stories about this church that's feeding the poor and changing communities, changing neighborhoods. And he doesn't like it because now everybody's following this movement who believes in a king that's higher than him. So he starts arresting them. He starts thinking, I can contain it if I can throw them in prison. 
And he starts looking for ways to persecute them. So he, in verse two, it says he finds James. James was the half brother of Jesus, the brother of John, one of the top three disciples that Jesus would walk with. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he would oftentimes pull three of them to the side for special meetings and assignments. He'd pull over Peter, James, and John. So Herod thought, I'm gonna take out one of their best leaders. If I can take out the leader, I can take out the church. The enemy knows if I can attack the leader, I can attack the movement. The enemy thought that he could stop the church, so he had James put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, now hold on, the Jews believed in God, the same God that Christians believed in, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The only difference was that the Jews did not believe in Jesus at that time. And so here they are, they're hating these, these other people who are turning to Christ, they're getting very charismatic. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two lit a fire in the church, literally speaking in other tongues. They're, they're speaking with boldness. They're moving forward and the Jews hated them. I can handle heat from people who don't agree with the God I believe in, but friendly fires is, is confusing. And here these Jews are saying, yes, Herod, put to death take down the church, persecute them, get rid of all their leaders, shut them down, tell them when they can meet, how they can meet, and how many they can meet with. Nothing like what we're walking through right now. There's nothing relevant about this, but the church, the church was experiencing all kinds of persecution from different people who didn't like them, didn't agree with them, didn't approve of their belief system. They said, you can believe in God, but you need to believe in the kind of God we believe in, the version of God that we believe in, not this new radical version. And so they took Peter, they seized him during the festival of unleavened bread, and they put him in prison. They arrested him, and they handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So here Peter is sitting in prison, he's going through a trial, and it says, while Peter was kept in prison, verse five, I love this, I underline this. While Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I don't know who was praying for me this week, but I felt some prayers. I don't know who prays for me, but somebody's out there doing it. I turned to Ashley on Wednesday night and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I feel someone's praying for me. I got a text from a pastor this week, several different pastors just saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Text messages from church members, I'm praying for you. I'm with you. I know you're a target during this pandemic. Your church is doing great things. The enemy does not like what God's doing through victory. Just want you to know you're not alone. I'm praying for you. Let me tell this to someone in the room. If you feel alone right now, someone prayed you into church today. Someone prayed you to watch online today. There's a grandma who hasn't given up on you. You may not believe in God. You may have given up on God, but God has not given up on you. You might have quit your purpose, but God has not quit his purpose. You might have shut down, but God has not shut down. God still has a plan for you in the midst of the trial that you're walking through. The enemy knows if he can get in your head, he can get in your heart, he can discourage you, and he can get you to quit in the wild. He tried to do it to Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was rebuilding Israel, he was doing great things. And then he started sending messages. People started coming to Nehemiah. Hey, you should stop doing that. People don't like what you're doing. 
You're causing a ruckus in the city. You're creating too much chaos in the city. You need to stop, Nehemiah. They tried to do it to Joseph, attacking Joseph with accusations. We know what you did. Throwing Joseph in prison. Every person God used in the Bible walked through a trial. Every person had an, a moment where they wanted to quit. A moment where they wanted to throw in the towel. A moment where they felt like this was not going to turn out the way they were hoping it would turn out. Here Peter is called by God, knowing that he's called to preach, knowing that he's called to minister to the church. And yet here he is in prison. How did the church pray for Peter when in verse two, they lost James? Remember in verse two that their other pastor, James, had just been killed by Herod. How do you pray for something when the last time you prayed for it, it didn't work out? How do you have the confidence to pray again for someone to get healed when the last time you prayed for someone to get healed, they died? How do you pray for a turnaround when the last time you prayed for a turnaround, it didn't work out? How did the church have the audacity to keep praying for Peter when they prayed for James and James got killed? Let me just tell you something. Oftentimes, God calls us to preach the contradiction, to pray the contradiction, to preach the opposite of how you feel. If you feel discouraged, preach encouragement. If you feel insecure, preach confidence. If you feel hopeless, preach hope. If you feel afraid, preach, preach faith, preach faith over whatever it is that the enemy is trying to do. When the church was feeling discouraged, they begin to pray for Peter. How do you make it through the wild? You got to do the contradiction. You got to detach your faith in the results and you've got to choose to do what God's called you to do. I can't control what's going to happen, but I can determine to pray for a breakthrough. I don't know what the results are going to be. That's not my department. The outcome department is not my department. The obedience department is mine. I'm called to obey. I'm called to pray. I'm called to pray for my leaders. I'm called to do the part that I can do. So here Peter is. He's, he's in prison and the church is praying. There's a group of people that wanted to kill Peter, but there was another group of people that wanted to propel Peter into his purpose. No matter who's against you, there are way more for you. There is way more on your side. There are way more who are cheering you on. The Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses in heaven. This weekend marks 11 years that my father went to be with the Lord. November 22nd, 2009, I'll never forget John, my sisters, myself, my mom, we were all in the hospital, my wife, and there he passed into eternity. The EKG monitor just stopped beeping and flatlined. I remember just weeping, crying. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to make it? I had been praying for him to get healed. I'd been praying for, for God to heal him of the cancer. And I remember that moment. I was so mad at God. I was so discouraged. I was so depleted. I wanted to quit. I didn't want to go back to church. I didn't want to face victory because I felt defeated. I think the enemy comes to do four things in the wild. He comes to distract you. He comes to deplete you. He comes to discourage you. And ultimately, he wants to defeat you. The enemy will try to distract you with lies, distract you down different paths. He'll try to distract you from your purpose. Then he'll try to deplete you. This is what the devil does. The Bible says there is a real thief. He is a thief. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. 
If you're feeling like you're losing your energy, the enemy knows you are closer to your victory than you've ever been before. If you feel like you've had to press through some battles, if you feel like you've walked through some trials, it's because the devil knows there's an assignment on your life and he's trying to bring all hell against you to stop you from succeeding. Because if you succeed, you open the door for another generation to succeed. If you succeed, your family walks through the door. If you get through this trial, God knows this testimony is going to open the door for other people. Peter's testimony would open the door for a whole bunch of believers one day that would come through. So the church was praying for Peter. Verse six, the night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, the rapper and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Y'all didn't know two chains was in the Bible. Hold on, go back to verse six. No, listen, verse six, Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. The same guy who was screaming at Jesus on the boat when they were going across Galilee and it was stormy. And Peter said, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. There's a storm. It's, it's, it's crazy out here. It's wild out here. And Jesus was sleeping on a cushion during a storm just years before this moment. How is Peter able to sleep years later? Because he watched his savior sleep through a storm. When you've seen Jesus sleep, you can sleep too. I got some of the best sleep this week that I've ever gotten. You sleep when you know the outcome belongs to God. If the outcome belongs to me, I'm staying up all night. I'm worried. I'm stressed. I'm on my phone. I'm fighting on social media. I'm defending myself in front of everyone. But once you realize the outcome is not in my hands, you can go to sleep even in a prison. You can go to sleep even the night before a trial. You can go to sleep the night before you see the judge, the night before you see the government, the night before Peter was sleeping the night before his trial because he had seen Jesus sleep in the wild. He had seen Jesus trust that everything was going to be okay. So here Peter is sleeping and the church is praying. And verse seven, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. You got an angel with you right now. Y'all remember that movie Angels in the Outfield? Yeah. Y'all remember when they all stood up and they started doing the angel thing? Where's my angels at? Come on, noose bombs. Yeah. We got some angels out here. I love it. I love this church. Y'all remember that? And, and there was that moment in the movie where the pitcher was feeling so exhausted and he wanted to quit and he had done everything he could to pitch the best game he could. And, and he was losing his energy and the, the little boy runs over to him and he goes, you got an angel with you right now. He said, where is he? I can't feel him. I don't see him. And all of a sudden the, you know, the whole stand starts doing the angel part. I'm starting crying, watching, watching angels in the outfield. But I think about here, Peter is, he's in a trial. If you've ever been in a trial before a circumstance, you know how it is. You feel exhausted. You feel afraid. You feel paranoid. You're trying to figure out who's for me, who's against me, who's with me through this, who's going to help me get through this, what's going to happen, what's the judge going to do, how are we going to make it? And there the angel of the Lord came and appeared, and a light shone in the cell. In the midst of the wild, in the darkness, a light shines, and the darkness cannot overcome it. He struck Peter on the side, and he woke him up. He said, quick, get up. Somebody say, get up. Get up from your despair. Get up from your depression. Get up from quitting. Get up. You only lose if you stay down. 
As long as Rocky kept getting back up, come on, Rocky Balboa, as long as Rocky kept getting back up, he could fight in the ring. All he had to do was keep getting back up. And he would wear out the other. The enemy does not plan on you getting back up. The enemy knows if he can keep you down, he wins. But if you keep getting back up, you remind the enemy you're more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The angel told Peter, I know you feel down. I know you've been knocked out. I know people have said all kinds of stuff about you. I know you feel exhausted. I know you're living in a pandemic. It's wild times out there, but get up, get up. There's a church that's praying for you. Get up. There's a church that's contending for you. Get up, Paul, get up, get up from your discouragement. Get up from your depletion. Get up from that defeated attitude. Refuse to quit. Refuse to quit. Refuse to stay down. Refuse to let the enemy get the victory in your life. You got to get up on the inside before you get up on the outside. The battle's between the ears. If you don't win it in here, you can't win it out there. You got to shut off all the other voices and tune into the voice of the Father who's saying, Get up. Though a righteous man may fall seven times, he shall rise again. Since when did God give up on you? Since when did God say seven strikes and you're out? No, he's the God who continues to forgive. He's the God who continues to give another chance and another chance and another chance who says the church is still praying for you. I know you missed it. I know you failed, but you're not a failure. Get up. God's not done. So the angel said, get up. And when Peter got up, the chains fell off. When you get up, the chains fall off. The chains are an illusion. The addiction is an illusion. The enemy wants you to think you're in this addiction forever. These chains have you down forever. But the second you get up mentally, the second you get up emotionally, the addictions begin to break off physically. The chains start to fall off. The enemy wants you down because as long as you're down, you're addicted. You're broke. You say, I'm, I'm always going to be broke. I'm, I'm in lack. I'm afflicted. I'm addicted. My daddy was an alcoholic. My grandpa was an alcoholic. My daddy was an addict. My grandpa, my grandma was an addict. Everybody in my family was. We all had chains. I inherited the chains of my mom and my grandma and my grandpa. And my, I, I got the same chains as them. Get up. When you get up, the chains fall off. When you get up on the inside, when Peter got up, the chains came off. The angel said, put on your clothes and your sandals. Put on your clothes. Get dressed for war, Peter. You didn't think you were going to go through these wild times without some war, did you? When you're in the wild, you're in the war. Put on the armor of God. The enemy's after your head. Put on the helmet of salvation. The enemy's after your heart. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The enemy's trying to deceive you with lies. Put on the belt of truth. The enemy's trying to get you paranoid. Put on the shoes that are shod with the gospel of peace. The enemy's trying to get you afraid. Lift up the shield of faith. The enemy's trying to talk you out of your destiny. Pull out the sword of the spirit. It's time to attack the one who's been attacking you. It's time to rise up, church. Get dressed for war. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. I'm going to come back to that, but I want to give you five ways to not quit in the wild. Five ways to not quit in the wild. Number one, keep the right perspective. How do you not quit in the wild? Paul told the church in Galatians 6 verse 9, don't grow weary in well-doing, for at the right time you will reap a harvest. you got to have a perspective 
that the harvest is coming on the other side of this trial that you're walking through. The times that people want to quit is not on the mountaintop, it's in the valley. It's easy to keep fighting when you're winning. It's hard to keep fighting when you're losing. It's hard to keep moving forward when you feel like all hell's breaking loose against you. You got to keep the right perspective that if the enemy's coming against you, that means he knows there's something great on the other side of this battle. We call our church victory, but the word victory is only used when you win a battle. You can't have a victory without a battle. You got to keep the right perspective. This victory comes with a fight. Luke 2 verse 1 says, it came to pass. I love those first five words of that scripture. And it came to pass. Keep the right perspective. This is coming to pass. This battle that you're in, this setback that you're in, this problem in your marriage, this problem with your health, this coronavirus is not a permanent thing. This is coming to pass. It's coming to pass. It's coming to pass. Am I preaching to a church that believes this virus is coming to pass? It didn't come to stay. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Paul said, our light and momentary troubles do not even compare to the ever surpassing glory that awaits us. Keep the right perspective. Don't let a temporary setback cause you to make a permanent decision. There was a woman in the Old Testament who was giving birth to her baby and right as she was giving birth, she was experiencing so much pain. She had just found out that her husband died at war, that her father-in-law also had died in the war. When she heard about these two deaths, and here she is going through the physical pain of delivering this baby, she named her baby Ichabod. The name Ichabod means the glory days have left us. The glory of God has departed from Israel. Our best days are behind us. Never name your future based on your present. Don't let a present, temporary, setback, painful situation get the naming rights of your future. That boy had to grow up the rest of his life with that name on top of him, that name that his mom gave him. The crazy thing is the Israelites ended up recovering the Ark of the Covenant while Ichabod was still alive. They got the glory back. They experienced their best days yet, but the mom didn't know how to see in the future. Don't Listen, without a vision, people perish. Keep the right perspective. You're going to get through this. Don't let a temporary battle cause you to make a permanent decision. Number two, turn your pain into a purpose. This pain has a purpose. I didn't choose it, but I'm going to use it. God didn't choose it, but he's going to use it. There's some people who have theology that God sends all the bad things in our life. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. God is not the author of death, of divorce, of cancer, of pandemics, of tornadoes, of hurricanes. Don't let anyone talk into believing that God is the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's deceptive theology. That is not in the New Testament. God came to give you life. He said, I'm the good shepherd, not the bad shepherd. What kind of good shepherd would kill a sheep? No, he lays his life down for his sheep. He gives his life for you and for me. He's a good God and he wants to use the pain that's in your life. He didn't send it, but he wants to use it for his purpose. A pearl does not become great worth unless it goes through pressure. No pressure, no power. As a kid, I remember my mom and dad buying John and I squirt guns, these big super soakers. I should have brought one to church with me today. 
And the more pressure that you could create in the super soaker, the more power would release. The more a pearl goes through the pressure and the process and the pain, they call it the distressing factor on the pearl. It goes through a whole bunch of stuff that distresses it. And after a while, it turns into the most beautiful, valuable pearl. Same thing with a diamond. A diamond has to go through the fire. It has to go through a cutting process. Pain can make you bitter or it can make you better. You choose. God doesn't choose for you. You choose. You choose whether you'll become miserable or whether you'll get better through this. When my grandma lost her husband, he was 57 years old, same age as my father when my father passed away. When Grand Grand lost her husband, she's 96 today. She's watching online. Love you, Grand Grand. I love all the grandmas, grandpas that are tuning in, watching out there. All of our elderly senior citizens that are here or watching online. But Grand Grand, she said, I remember when I lost my husband, I got bitter. I got mad at God. All three of my boys had grown up, gotten married, moved out of Magnolia, Arkansas. And there I was all by myself. She said, your dad came and visited me and said, Mom, you can get bitter or you can get better. You could sit in this rocking chair the rest of your life cursing God, angry that your husband died at too young of an age. Or you could turn your pain into a purpose. You could turn your test into a testimony. There's a lot of widows out there that could use you, Mom. And as he started to encourage her, she started to discover God was going to use her pain as a purpose. She moved to Tulsa. She started serving in the church, volunteering. During this pandemic, my grandma has called dozens of people every single week from her house. And I, I was at her house just a week and a half ago. I said, how you doing? She said, oh, God's using me to really encourage some people. I've been on the phone. God has a purpose, even in this pandemic, Paul, 96 years old, and she hasn't stopped living the purpose of God through the pain, through the pandemic. You see, when you don't, you get to choose what you do with your pain. Some people are becoming bitter. They're becoming vile. They're saying terrible, mean things on social media. And then there's some people who are saying, I'm going to be an encourager. I'm going to help people through this. I'm going to minister out of my pain. Jesus never promised us a pain-free life. John 16, 33 said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. First Peter 1, verse 6 says, these fiery trials have come to develop genuine faith in your life. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trouble of any kind, for this trouble will pr produce in you a perseverance. It will grow a faith in you. It will grow a love inside you. It will make you stronger. There were some scientists who did a research study on bumblebees. They took bumblebees to outer space, put them in a spaceship. When they crossed out of our atmosphere into the, the stratosphere where there's no gravity, the bumblebees began to float in the spaceship with ease. Didn't have to flap their wings. They were just floating, smiling at each other the B movie, Bugs Life. They're just smiling, talking to each other. And then on, on the fourth day, four days of just not even have to flap their wings, no toil, no struggle, no resistance, no difficulty. But after four days of outer space, they all died. And the researchers concluded that the bumblebees, they live because of the resistance. What keeps them alive is the toil. What keeps them going is the struggle. The tension is actually what's healthy in their life. Without the tension, they have nothing to live for. 
It's the flapping of the wings. It's the struggle. It's the difficulty. See, so many of us are praying away the pressure. We're praying away the difficulty. And God says, I'm giving you more years of living. I'm giving you more opportunities to be an impact. I'm setting you up. I'm propelling you into greater levels of your purpose. The more pain you walk through, the more gains you're going to have for the kingdom of God if you can turn it into a purpose. Number three, remember his grace is sufficient for you. How do you not quit in the wild? You remember his grace is sufficient. I remember as a kid, my dad used to take me and my brother, sisters on walks. And we got a picture of me going on a walk with him at Camp Victory. And I was six years old in this picture, wherever that is, walking with my dad. My feet would get hurt out at Camp Victory. There was rocks everywhere. I didn't have shoes all the time. We went swimming in the lake there. And I'd say, Dad, can you hold me? I can't walk anymore. Can you hold me? Can you hold me? I remember seeing a picture of this guy who's being held by Jesus on a beach. And you can see 15 feet behind them, there was two sets of footprints walking. And then it turned into just one set. And on the painting, it said, where were you when I needed you the most? And it said, God said, where you see just one set of footprints, that's where I carried you when you couldn't walk. There's a picture of my dad holding me as a kid. I remember him holding me in his arms during that time. I don't know if we have that, you can throw it up there. And I would just put my head on his shoulder. He would carry me through that. My kids ask me to do that now for them. Carry me, daddy, carry me. I wanted, I wanted to say this to someone today. If you're feeling tired, you have a heavenly father who, who carries you through these things. He carries you through the wild. His grace is sufficient. He told Paul the apostle, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Proverbs 24 verse 16 says, though a righteous man may fall seven times, he will rise again. The grace of God is strong on you. There's my boy just walking up here on the front row. <laughs> Number four. Number four, I'm going to give you five points, and then I'm going to come back to the story of Peter. Number four, shake off the lies and the labels of defeat. You cannot have the victory in the wild if you carry the lies and the labels of the enemy. Heard this story about this donkey that had lived quite a few years and had carried quite, quite a load through his years. And the owner of the donkey said, it's time for me to put this donkey away, but I don't have it in me to shoot him. And uh, he's, the donkey wasn't dying yet, so he thought, I'm just gonna bury him alive. So he had an old well on his land, true story. And uh, he got the donkey and put him inside this barrel and lowered him down at the bottom of the well. And then he started getting dirt. He started taking the shovel and started digging up dirt and throwing it on top. He was gonna bury his donkey alive in the well. Who does this? But he started shoveling dirt, throwing it on the donkey. Well, the donkey started thinking to himself, I'm not done yet. I'm not finished. God's not finished with me yet. This donkey starts thinking, you can't bury me. I still got life inside me. Every time that owner started shoveling dirt on top of the donkey, he would shake it off and step on top of it. Another shovel of dirt would come on top of him. He would shake it off and step on top. Another tweet would come at him. He would shake it off and step. Another Instagram comment would come at him. Another direct message. Another news channel would say more junk about him. He would shake it off and step on top of it. Finally, that donkey had shook off so much dirt and stepped on top of so much dirt 
dirt that the enemy tried to bury him with. He walked out of the well. He went running off from that owner. Let me tell you something today. The enemy wants to bury you with criticism, bury you with the labels and the lies of the enemy. You have a decision to shake it off and step on top of it. Don't let the enemy keep lying you in to defeat. Proverbs 29 says the fear of man is a trap. It's a snare. But the, the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who finds his validation from God, when you fear God, you fear no one else. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you put your trust in the Lord, there's nothing and no one that can hold you back or get you to quit in the midst of the wild. I remember watching the movie Lion King as a kid. And there's this moment where Scar, who's like the bad guy, tries to tell Simba, it's your fault that your dad died. I remember feeling those lies from the enemy after my father passed. It's your fault. It's your fault. Scar tried to convince Simba, it's your fault your dad died. Scar knew he was the one who killed Mufasa. Say it again, Mufasa. But Scar convinced Simba, it's your fault. It's your fault. If you would have been there for your dad, he wouldn't have died. Simba listened to that lie. He let the label of shame stick on him. In the movie, he runs into the wild and he quits his purpose. He literally joins a gang, Timon and Pumbaa, in the wild. <laughs> and he says, I don't want to be the king. I don't want to do my purpose. I'm not going to lead. I'm not going to lead the jungle. I'm not going to be the king of the jungle. I've messed up. I've made too many mistakes. This is, this is what Moses said to God. You don't know my past when Moses was in the wild. He said, you don't know. I made a mistake. I was a murderer. I love how God uses the people that the church oftentimes discounts. God used a terrorist to write 13 books in the New Testament. Paul the apostle used to terrorize the church. God used a drunk to build a boat and get his whole family saved from a flood. God used a prostitute to deliver the entire nation of Israel for Joshua in Jericho. God used all kinds of people with all kinds of mistakes. Don't ever discount yourself. Don't let anyone tell you. See, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those who he calls. If he calls you, he can qualify you. doesn't matter what labels people put on you. Finally, Simba hears from someone, hey, you got a purpose. And your dad is still cheering you on. He's called you to go back and lead the jungle. So he goes back and he does it, takes down Scar. But I, I get the feeling that some of us in this room have been listening to the lies and the labels of the enemy. I remember as a kid, my mom and dad, they gave me a book called You Are Valuable by Max Lucado. Such a powerful book about a little boy named Punchinello, these little wooden wimmicks that were made by a carpenter named Eli. And in the book, I remember reading it because he talks about how people would put dots or stars on all of each other. If you did something good, you got a star. If you were pretty, if your hair was done right, if you gave a good speech, if you sang a good song, you got a star. If you played sports really good, you got a star. But if you made a mistake, if you were clumsy, if you missed it, if you said something you shouldn't have said, you got a dot. And the church was really good at putting dots and capital A's on people's chest, putting dots on people who messed up, on the adulterer, on the cusser. <laughs> On the guy who messed up, on the girl who messed up, putting dots. I remember reading this book and my mom and dad said, still happens. People still put dots on each other. Dots for the mistakes, dots for the divorce, dots for the things that you wish you could take back, you could change. But one day, Punchinello meets a girl who has no stars, no dots on her. She's the only girl he's ever met who doesn't have anything, 
at all. No stars on her, no dots. He said, how did you, how do you not have stars or dots? She said, oh, they don't stick. No matter what they put on me, it won't stick. He said, how'd you do that? She said, I went and met with Eli. Eli, our maker, he's the one who showed me how to make sure that the stars won't stick and the dots won't stick. He said, tell me how to meet Eli. She said, he's on the hill, go see him. As he goes to Eli, Eli says, Punchinello. He says, you know my name? He says, yes, I made you. He said, don't you know how clumsy I am? I've made so many mistakes. I have so many dots all over me. He said, you are not what they've said about you. You are what I say about you. You are not the dots that have been placed on you, Punchinello nor are you the stars. You are mine. And because you are mine, you are special. As Punchinello was listening to Eli, tears coming down his face, the dots begin to fall off. The next day, he went back home and was out. And people put dots and stars on him. They were sticking. But every day, he would go back to Eli. And Eli showed him how to make sure the dots and the stars would never stick. This book was given to an orphanage in China. In China, they have a one-child rule. This orphanage was the kids whose parents decided they didn't want their second kid. They couldn't have their second kid. In most cases, it was a female because they were looking for a male. And so this orphanage was not just any type of orphanage. It was an orphanage for kids who could not speak and could not hear. They were deaf and mute. And someone put this book in their translation in Mandarin, and they began to read it. And I read this in an article that as the kids got to the last page, they started sobbing uncontrollably. These six-year-old girls who had been told as they got older why they were rejected by their parents, why they were discarded. But in that one moment, they started to realize the dots couldn't stick any longer. They were special. They were valuable. Don't quit because of what people have said about you. Don't quit because of the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the lies of defeat. You are a champion. You're a mighty man of God. You are more than a conqueror. God is not finished with you yet. You're a masterpiece. Number five, get up and get moving in God's purpose. To not quit, you got to get up and you got to get moving in God's purpose for your life. Back to Peter's story. So the angel said, Peter, follow me. As they passed through the gates, the doors begin to fling open. In fact, the doors open by themselves. Now, doors don't open without hinges. Those hidden hinges was the church praying. It was the mom who wouldn't give up. It was someone who was praying for Peter. Doors don't swing open by themselves. They need hinges. It's the volunteers who've been serving through the pandemic that have opened doors for people to come into the church. It's the ushers. It's the greeters. It's the prayer team. It's the grandmas. It's the grandpas. It's the online church. There's people that you may never see. You don't look at the hinges when you look at a door, but it's the hinges that made the door open. When Peter walked up to the door that he needed to open, someone was praying for that door to open. There was a hidden hinge connected to that door. When he got to the street, the angel left him and suddenly Peter came to his senses and he realized this was not a dream. Verse 11, he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel. He's rescued me. The enemy tried to defeat me, but my God has delivered me. If you feel defeated, discouraged, distracted, depleted, God's coming to deliver you in the wild. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Your story's not over yet. If there's breath in your lungs, God's not done. So when it dawned on him, Peter went straight to the church. Right after his breakthrough, he went straight to the church and he found his church praying for him. He came to the door. It's Peter. 
It's the one you've been praying for. The miracle you've been asking for, the breakthrough you've been believing for is knocking at the door. He's knocking at the door. The joy you've been waiting for, he's knocking at the door. And a servant came to the door and answered. And she realized Peter's at the door. She was so overjoyed, she didn't open the door. She ran back to the house. And the house said, you're out of your mind. Some of us in this room, we need to get out of our mind. I need to get out of my mind. My mind tells me too many things that aren't true. I need to get into the spirit and get out of the flesh. I need to get out of the thoughts of fear and into the thoughts of faith. But finally, she said, Peter is at the door. When they opened the door, there was Peter. He had been delivered from the wild. When you don't quit, when you choose not to quit, God always finds a way for your escape. He always finds a way to get you through it. If you don't quit, you'll win. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. When Peter walked into the house that night, the church realized momentum was coming once again. They thought they were going to have to stop. But in this moment, God was saying, I'm about to breathe fresh wind, fresh fire on you. Peter said, gather the other believers. It's time to have church. Gather the other believers. It's time to advance. I don't know who I'm saying this to is watching right now. And I know I've gone long these last several weeks, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit's been moving in our church. And right now there's nothing better than being in the presence of God. But someone in this room needed to hear this today. You are not your mistakes. You are not your failures. You are not defeated. You might be going through a trial right now. You might be in a valley right now. You may feel like giving up, but God spoke this word to you today to remind you that if you don't quit, you'll win. And if you don't quit on the other side of your victory, there's a testimony. People are counting on you. The doors that you walk through in this season, the things you press through, the valleys you go through, all of it's part of the destiny God has for you. And people are going to be impacted by your decision not to quit. Don't jump. Don't pull the trigger. Don't go home. Don't leave the spouse. Don't walk out on the company. Don't walk away from the dream. God's not finished with your story yet. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you're here right now and you just need that prayer not to quit, just raise your hand. Yeah, if I'm speaking to you, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yeah, yeah. Could be on a relationship, could be on a dream, could be on praying, could be on church, could be on God. Whatever it is, you're saying, man, I just need prayer. I need strength. I need grace. I need help through this holiday season not to quit. Secondly, you're here today and you say, I'm not right with God, Paul, and I want to get right with God. I want to surrender to Jesus. Today is the best day to give your heart to God. You're not promised tomorrow. Maybe you're watching online. You're saying, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand. Raise your hand today. I'm going to ask you to stay right where you're at, and I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Lord, I pray right now for every person here. God, I speak life. I speak hope. I command the spirit of death to leave their mind, their heart, that defeated attitude, that perspective of discouragement, whatever it is that's been weighing them down, the heaviness. Lord, I thank you today. You're giving us a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus. You said even youths grow tired and weary, but those who wait upon the 
Lord shall renew their strength. God, I pray today, Lord, that those who've been in this service, those who've been watching online, that you're renewing their vision, renewing their mind, renewing their hearts, renewing their, their steps, God. You're getting them ordered for what you've called them to do. You're preparing them, God, for the battle. You're, you're preparing them, God, for the trial, to walk through it by faith, to overcome it in Jesus' name. Say this with me. Jesus, I'm all yours. I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for me. You are with me. You are for me. You are a good God. And I put my faith in you. I refuse to quit. Satan, not today, not tomorrow, not any time in my future. I'm going to walk in victory because Jesus lives in me. And my best days are truly in front of me because God's not finished yet. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you. God bless you. On your way out today, we got turkeys for you at the door, grocery boxes for anyone who needs it. We love you. Thanks for being at church. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in online. God bless you.